Hey everybody, it's officially draft season, and we here at Upside Swings couldn't do what we do without Global Shop Solutions ERP software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Hello everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings and Media Draft Podcast, the podcast that I ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined talks by the great Stone Hansen. And the next in our series of guests here talk about the Dallas Mavericks, the great Grant Afseth. Um, he is a writer for NBA Analysis Network, uh, covers Dallas basketball, of course, and the Dallas Mavericks. Um, he is a really fun follow. He does a lot of great work, and and the Mavericks are such a such an interesting team. They had one of the weirdest seasons of anyone last year. Grant, we can't thank you enough for coming on. How you doing, my friend? Well, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to, to talking all, all about that uh, that interesting uh, team for sure. Yeah, in- interesting. Uh, you, you'll have to tell me if that's too nice a way to put it, but but we'll <laughs> we'll get there in a second. Uh, Stone, my friend, how are you doing? Uh, doing great. Um, excited to talk with Grant about the Mavericks. Um, Luca's probably like one of my, if not my favorite, non-Laker player. Like he's just a lot of fun to watch. Um, I love, I love watching him, and I really just want the Mavericks to be able to put a competent team around him so they can go far at them. Um, so you know, let's get into it. His his, I'll, I'll never forget watching his Real tape. That is like like all time prospect stuff. Going back to watch him play for Real Madrid, just I mean, was on a different level. But a team that was not on a different level was this Mavericks team last year. Um, I think they had they came into the season with great expectations. Um, they were talked about as a potential like top four or five seed. Luca obviously got MVP buzz. Um, it felt like this was the year they'd maybe take the step. And it just it, it just kind of felt like a constant fumble over their own feet. Um, Maxi Kleba missed a lot of the year with injury. Um, they're paying a lot of money to two guys who barely played rotation. Well, I shouldn't say t- Tim Hardaway played. How well he played is a question. But Davis Berton's got a lot of money to barely play. Um, a lot of the role players just felt like it didn't click, except for Josh Green, who took a major step. Christian Wood kind of fell down. Dwight Powell missed a lot of the year. Uh, they they spent good money on JaVale McGee, who was really bad. Grant, how would you kind of describe this weird mess of a season that the Mavericks had last year? Yeah, I think, honestly, it starts with, um, I think they're, they were accustomed to kind of being able to, you know, ultra-utilize Luka um, to kind of, you know, shoulder the offensive load. And I think, you know, he came out of the gates scoring 30 or more points in like nine consecutive games that was like second to only Wilt Chamberlain and I think part of the issue was that you know if you look back to who they you know opening night they started you know Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock and they had JaVale McGee at the five and I think the idea was that um, you know pretty much we're going to be able to rely on Luca creating and then we just have to have enough offense with like a Christian Wood as in a six-man role and that'll help us get better from where we were last year, um, you know, you know, to, to win those non-Luca minutes. But I think in a sense, their, their idea quickly unraveled because I think JaVale uh, proved pretty unplayable early on. Um, so they still needed that rim protector. And then their wings as a whole, um, like I, I just, I was tracking data really early on and kind of pointed this out that like, there's just not enough juice, if you will, offensively between, uh, you know, Bullock and Finney Smith, like they're really limited in terms of like, you know, even one dribble pull-ups, getting to the rim and straight line drives off closeouts. 
all that stuff. And so that's a lot of responsibility and weight to put just on Luca. And I think as the season progressed, that became taxing for him. Um, and, you know, even Jason Kidd during that like historic run of those like 30 plus point games, he even said, um, you know, he might not make it to Christmas at the rate we're going. And then he had an injury the second game after the all-star break. It was kind of a weird one. Uh, like in New Orleans, um, he played like three quarters. Um, uh, he was playing through this injury that he said wasn't contact. Um, and it was like, an, he said it was a weird injury he's never really had before, like where he couldn't really re- like recognize what caused it um, with his quad. And yeah, he just kind of like was like, all right, I can't give it a go um, for the fourth quarter. I'm done today. And then he missed games. And it just seemed like, you know, after they talked about it, that's that was like from the second game of the all uh, post All-Star all the way through that point of March. And overall, it's just like, I think it was just a, like a, a perfect example of how they kind of overburdened him and it kind of put a, a, a weight on his like physical abilities um, beyond what, you know, they kind of put him to the max, put him to the max, I guess you could say, and it kind of backfired. Yeah, we talked a lot about the limits of heliocentrism as like an idea in the basketball sense, but another big limiter is that you have to be in like perfect physical condition to do it. And I mean, obviously a lot's been made jokes and non-jokes about Luca's inconsistent conditioning in general. Um, you know, this is a team where offensively, like like just looking at the base of the roster, you look at it and say, oh, it makes sense for them to run. Well, they can't play in transition because Luca will just not have the energy to do that. And and I think there's a lot of things that need to be addressed. Um, and and the biggest one is you can't have Luca have like this 40% usage. That's just he just can't do it. And, and that's a big reason this team failed, is there just weren't other options. Of course, they tried to address that at, at, at the trade deadline. And I kind of want to pivot there because Kyrie is, I mean, maybe the most fickle star of the generation um there's i mean obviously he's a great talent when he's healthy even like like even this year it's not like he's washed by any means he was incredible in the games he played with the nets uh he looked good for a lot of stretches with the with the mavericks despite battling some injury stuff grant let's talk first about his play on the court how did you feel about Kyrie? and more specifically how do you feel about the Kyrie luca fit yeah, I think uh, overall, um, you know, it was it was kind of an interesting experience, I think, for Kyrie uh, individually. Um, something that he, like, you know, in his comments that he made, like, pretty frequently was that I've never been traded midseason before. Um, normally, I would have a training camp in an early season, you know, uh, schedule to go through the ugly stuff. That, and we're doing this in high-stakes games that are must-win. Um, and so I think – uh, in a way, I kind of feel like there was some like kind of caution uh, to kind of come in and not like kind of disrupt what the Mavericks like their their base strategy was. Um, I think they uh, like he he said he didn't want to like step on toes uh, or anything of that nature. So he was very much which uh, I think he he generally was um, in his uh, like earlier like you know eras of his career. But like he would pick his spots in the first quarter um, and then really run the show when Luca. Uh, was done being like the, you know, the NBA's leading first quarter score. Um, Kyrie would pick up the offense, uh, you know, run things that second quarter. Luca would come back and do the, you know, re- leading the charge uh, for the third quarter. And then Kyrie would, you know, lead things in the fourth quarter, like with the uh, staggering of minutes and responsibility. 
And I think where, where there was problems is in clutch time, there was a clear, like, you know, just a feeling out process um, that just, I don't feel like got, you know, uh, probably resolved fast enough in their must win games. Uh, they lost a couple clutch games because there was like, oh, uh, you know, you, you take the last shot. No, I want to be a good teammate. You take the last shot. And then, you know, just like some disconnects there where they lost some of those like last shot or just clutch games. Um, but I think in general, in terms of like kind of looking ahead, you know, let's say, uh, you know, he comes back to the Mavericks. I do think that there is uh, a lot to, to kind of monitor. I think, I think there is a lot to like about the fit um, where, you know, if they have a full training camp, the early season process, they kind of install things in the offense and kind of like, you know, test out different like, you know, sets or whatever you want to say uh, where Luke is more off the ball. Um, and he's able to just kind of pick his spots, have a lower taxing, um, you know, kind of like set of circumstances where he can attack from different spots, different ways, um, instead of just like the whole, like, I'm going to initiate it, draw two, and I'm seeing like doubles and having to like give the ball up in a four on three. And then just like ISO, like, I think that's probably, um, kind of the general, like, like thought heading into next season for sure. It sounds silly, but like teaching Luca how to like shoot off the ball would be huge too. Like that's just not something he's had to do ever in his, like honestly his career, going back to the time he was 16, he's never really had to be a catch and shoot shooter. It's just not what he does. He's always kind of been like this ball stopper. Let me put the ball on the ground and kind of figure something out. I think he has the tools. I mean, he's obviously a very talented shooter, uh, absurd touch, really great passer. Like he can have the tools to be a more hybrid on ball, off ball offensive player. He just hasn't done it since. I mean, the closest he gets is when he plays with the national team uh, with like Goran Dragic, And that's like the closest he's ever got to being any type of hybrid on ball, off ball guy. But I do, I agree with you that offensively, the theoretical fit is solid. Kyrie has proven he can play with dudes like Luca plenty of times before. Um, and just, I mean, Kyrie, we'll, we'll talk about the off the court, you know, questions, maybe not in, in super in depth, but like in general on the court is one of the probably 10 most talented offensive players in basketball right now. I just think like, I mean, his, his ability to shoot, like he is a good catch and shoot shooter. I think he gets underrated in that. He's like, you know a comfortable like 40 plus percent catch shoot shooter he's a really good off the dribble shooter obviously um so I, I like that idea of a fit but let's talk about his contract situation and obviously Grant I'm not going to ask you to try and read Kyrie's mind because plenty of people have tried and failed but just in <laughs> general what do you think like his his free agency situation sort of looks like yeah I think in general um I think the Mavs um I think, I think the general idea is that, uh, um, you know, he, he probably wants like a four year, uh, like a longer term deal and the Mavericks are probably, I would, I'm not, I'm not positive how they are, but I'm sure they're probably trying to, um, you know, find whatever options in terms of like risk mitigation for like a long-term, uh, kind of deal, like see, see like if he can work with like paying a max, but not for like that five years, not that for that four years. Um, and just like, I think that's probably the the general like territory that they're working with. Um, Cause, and I think part of what that um, your recent story that came out, not to get too much into it yet or whatever, but I think Kyrie one wanted to show his value as a recruiter and just show that like his value goes beyond like the on court, like value, if you will. Um, so I think the general idea is that, um, you know, he's trying to solidify that long-term max before they're eligible to start discussing 
their contract. I think I think they're allowed to now start talking about that the day after the finals end, um, after the CBA change. So I think you know the timing of that makes more sense uh, when you put it into perspective that like you know you, you kind of got to do your uh, your 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 work in the media a little bit before you start to go to the the, the table to talk because you haven't like legally been allowed to talk yet. So I think that's just my my general like kind of like read on it. And I think for when he was with the Nets. Um, that's what he wanted was like a four-year deal. And I don't think he wanted like any stipulations on the compensation. Um, I'm sure he wanted like a four-year max, um, and not to have like, you know, like the games played requirements for certain guarantees and then like winning a title as part of the incentive. So I think probably, um, in general, I'm sure, um, you know, based off how the Mavericks kind of operated in the past, um, I think they like to kind of have, uh, you know, a number brought to them and then they work from there. Um, but I think with the way the CBA changes, it'll be interesting um, to kind of see where they're allowed to start talking to their guys before, you know, the June 30th date that other teams are allowed to talk. So it'll be interesting to see how that initial conversation goes. Um, that's something that I think I would, I would pay close attention to. Um, but I, I think I would imagine when you make that trade in February, you're probably willing to give the max. It's just a matter of seeing if you can get out of doing the full five years, see if you can do four, maybe three um is is probably my thought but still with that max salary i wanted to ask really quickly is do you think that like there's any other team that would be willing to even give Kyrie the max and do you think that them paying Kyrie the max is more because that's what the market commands or more that they are afraid of like insulting Kyrie and and he might go somewhere else because they're not offering him the max I do think it would probably be more of the latter. Um, I do think that, you know, whenever you kind of look at the previous uh, kind of contract situations that um, Kyrie has had, especially Brooklyn, I feel like, um, you know, you, you kind of want to avoid the, the, the feeling of disrespect uh, when you're the only team that can talk to them uh, and the onus is kind of put on you uh, to, to kind of have that number as opposed to the other way around where, you know, you're, you're able to wait all the way up until free agency and then be like, all right, well, tomorrow you can, you know, let's, let's reconvene and see what you got. Um, I think that's a lot of time to kind of have where it's hanging in the balance. If you like, like have silence or if you give a bad number. So I think, I think that probably has some to do with it. Um, I'm not, I'm not personally sure. Um, but I like, you know, for the actual, like, like details of it, but I'm sure uh, just my read of it in general, that that's probably, um, probably the sentiment I, I would imagine for sure. I'm sure there is a team that would find a way to scrounge the money to give Kyrie the max. I just, if, if they really feel like that's not out there from the map, because at the very least he's probably a tradable asset on that contract and, and a team's going to figure it out. I just, the talent in this league is gets paid. That tends to be how it goes. And uh, those guys, no matter their money still have, I mean, you could ar- make an argument right now that Damian Lillard is currently set to make like, you know, he's currently set to be on one of the worst contracts in history in like two, three years. And he could still be traded for like five first round picks. It's just, that's just how this league is. Talent matters the most banners fly forever. And um, you know, those type of guys are going to command that type of stuff. I want to talk about the team around them. I, I obviously we'll talk about the draft in a minute and some trade options, but just in general right now, there's not a ton locked in stone. If we assume Kyrie's back, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr., Davis Bertans are both making $17 million next year. I would imagine both those guys are trade fodder. Um, you got Maxi Kleba, who is hopefully healthy on a really good contract at $11 million. 
Uh, I imagine Bullock is back uh, for a $10 million. He's he's not guaranteed. I don't know how much is guaranteed, but I imagine he's back. But other than that, Christian Wood, I feel like he's probably gone. Dwight Powell might be back. They have bird rights on both those guys. Um, just in general, Grant, what do you think of this current roster around them? What do you think it needs to evolve into to best maximize Luca and, and Kyrie? And what are some options they have to make that work? Yeah, I think, you know, kind of heading into the offseason, um, they ranked 26 or no, 25th in the, you know, defensive rating, last in total rebounding percentage. I think, uh, you know, the the team itself has kind of communicated, uh, you know, like the GM with like public quotes and all that stuff has uh, said that defense and rebounding will be focuses. So I think that's definitely, you know, both on ball defense uh, and rim protection uh, would be needs because um, they, they I think they thought JaVale McGee would probably be a solution there. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, that didn't quite work out. Um, so I think, uh, it's kind of a lot of needs to have, uh, for one off season. Um, cause now they don't have Dorian Finney Smith to kind of like kind of anchor and be an answer at that four spot. Um, and they're really small in the perimeter when they play like a non two big lineup and they don't have the bigs to play a, a two big lineup. And honestly, even regardless of lineup, their fives aren't the best. And Christian Wood, I, I can't imagine him wanting to, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to say like, I, I don't think he would want to resign. I just feel like, I don't know. I thought like there's a disconnect in their situation. Uh, I, I wouldn't imagine the outcome being that he resigns. Um, so I think I, I, when I'm kind of evaluating like the potential options, I kind of think with that in mind. Um, so, and then, you know, I, I, I could see unless Dwight Powell gets some sort of, you know, like, tax MLE offer from someone else or something along those lines. Um, I do, uh, you know, think that there's interest in bringing him back. Um, but then again, that's like, that's still a continuation of this current roster. So I think rim protection and probably wing upgrades if possible, but they are limited to the 10th pick uh, and their 2027 first round pick uh, for tradable draft assets this off season without like including any swaps. And, um, you know, Jaden Hardy, Josh Green are probably their only like younger player assets as well. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, a lot of defense and uh, uh, rebounding uh, for sure. And yeah, and and, and uh, almost goes without saying, but hopefully they, those defenders can shoot a little bit. Let's talk about some specific targets. And uh, the place to start with this is obviously uh, LeBron James. Um Grant, I, I guess just the, I just want to ask just straight up, like, is there any like realness to that? Or do you think that's purely just kind of Kyrie posturing or where are you at with that? Yeah, I kind of, I don't think there's a feasible pathway, even if it was real. Um, like, I, I do think that that um, probably was, um, you know, for Kyrie to kind of show his value as a recruiter. And I mean, honestly, one thing I was just talking about on, you know, my Mavericks podcast earlier today that we, uh, you know, when we were talking about that general story, uh, we, it's kind of entertaining to think that like, you know, Kyrie loves to criticize media, but he sure knows how to utilize it. Um, like, you know, putting a name LeBron James out there, that sends like a major, major, uh, you know, shockwave regardless, Even, like the, the sugar rush of people thinking about a LeBron, LeBron James trade will last like at least 12 hours. And then people will be like, kind of like, oh yeah, that's not possible. Okay. Uh, next. Um, but at least, you know, like you can't, there's no better way to send a big message than to use the biggest name. So I just thought that was kind of entertaining. I think that's, 
that's probably the extent that it goes though i don't i don't see a viable path i was playing around with that just for fun but like the limited on draft picks the terrible contracts like like you're not taking on bertans to give up lebron uh and like things like that like uh yeah so i think yeah there's probably not too much there but uh in terms of targets um i do think it gets complicated when you think about their needs um because you know for example like i'm sure they would love to have like og ananobi or something like that um but so would so many other teams with more assets to be able to use at their disposal um so i'm kind of thinking that um you know kind of those higher level trade targets may be challenging um because the 10th pick um like that's a helpful asset, but I think when other teams have like those three to four, like, you know, whatever, I don't know the cost to trade for OG Ananobi, but like, you know, if there's like, like the Memphis Grizzlies have more future picks or, you know, teams like that uh, to be able to kind of use in that sort of a trade. Um, so I think like, honestly, uh, if they can address one of their needs using like without having to deplete draft capital and kind of shift around, maybe a not that fantastic contract from somebody else or a, team with a log jam like for example like maybe like a robert covington could be helpful if the clippers are you know willing to move off of him because he wasn't getting minutes you know things like that um i can't imagine that costing too much considering those circumstances um so i think those are the types of trade targets to keep in mind but i do think i definitely think the the 10 pick um what whatever that gets you I'm, i'm not too positive but um I would imagine with the the pattern of the playoffs, you know, being a lot of teams with like bigs, uh, like impact bigs, uh, making it far, I'm sure that could probably, you know, like spark the idea of like, okay, maybe we should trade the 10th pick and address our center position since that's been such a talked about need as well. Um, I, I, I don't know, like I know DeAndre Ayton has been a name that's been linked, but that's a lot of money uh, to kind of put um, at the five spot. Um, I mean, I, if that's your best bet, then I mean, maybe that's, uh, you know, that becomes more of a, uh, you know, option. Um, but, you know, I think it's just hard to kind of address those two major needs because those are such hot commodities, like a, like a impact rim protector um, and three and D wings with like, you know, more offensive upside. Um, I don't know how attainable uh, the option is, but I do like Nick Claxton a lot. Not sure what the the you know outlook is with the Nets, um, like I, I, with his contract and all. I, I'm I'm not sure. I think he's gonna need a new one pretty soon, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't I don't know what you would give up in a trade uh, to get that one done, but I do like the idea of having that like dirty work big man with athleticism that can switch. I think that would uh, definitely help them a lot. That's probably that's probably my one of my favorite options for them. But um, yeah, I think just. You can't address everything with the 10th pick. You can't address it all with the 2027 pick. You might even need to attach both picks to get a, the, the one need that you need uh, addressed with that 10th pick just because of the contract they might be attaching to it. So that's something why I kind of brought that Robert Covington kind of idea out there um, or name of that na- nature, um, just because you're going to have to find ways or pathways to address some needs without attaching like, you know, draft assets for all of them. Yeah, you mentioned like log jams, and whenever that's kind of mentioned, I try to think of the pods we've done so far in this series. Clint Capella makes a lot of sense to me here. Um, I feel like he's probably the easiest to acquire of everyone we've mentioned outside of Covington, because Covington's probably more of like a super buy low. Um, but you could probably get Capella for for 10, and I think you would only have to trade one of, you know, 
Hardaway or Bertons. And then you probably also have to attach like either a Bullock or a Green or a Hardy or whoever uh, the Hawks value there might end up being a three-team trade, whatever. But the idea of Capella here is really intriguing to me because I think in the regular season, he can be that, that rim protector, that drop guy. But at times, he's proven he can switch, too. I mean, he was on that Switch Everything Rockets team um, before they eventually moved on from him uh, to, to, to play Kate Russell Westbrook. Um, I'd also say this is like a free agent one, but I, I'd like Kevin Love here. Uh, I think Kevin Love, obviously, in the playoffs has some issues, but he's proved to me at this year that at the very least he's not completely washed. Um, and you talk about a rebounder, one of the most talented rebounders I've ever watched. Uh, I think you can, you know, you can really shoot the ball. It would just be a fun fit here. Good connector, obviously has experience playing with Kyrie. Um, but yeah, like other than that, especially that 3 and D wing, it's tough to really, you know, even I, as much as I like Robert Covington, I don't know that the Clippers would want to trade him to the Mavericks because they probably see the Mavericks as some of their top competition. And that's, that's a hard thing. And then, you know, if you look East or if you look to with the in- implementation of the plan, there's a lot less teams looking to just like tank. Like the, the the number of teams tearing down is slim to none right now. You know, it, it, could you maybe put something together to get like a Keldon Johnson? Maybe I'd like that fit a lot. I, I think he's like a good, like tertiary wing, not a great defender, but a good one, not a great shooter, but a good one can attack a closeout. Um, but I just, there's just not a ton of guys who stand out to me as obvious. Um, even with that 10th pick, are you kind of with me there, Grant? Or is there anyone I'm missing that you'd be into? Yeah, I think in general, like going back to your Clint Capella idea, I think there's been some people that like the idea of investigating if you can trade down from 10 to 15. Um, and maybe add like whatever assets you got to add to incentivize um, Atlanta uh, to kind of make that move up. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the trade value would look like on that one, but, um, you know, moving down five spots, you know, whatever compensation you need in there as well, um, you know, maybe that keeps you in the draft. Um, and you don't have to completely like, you know, get out and have nothing to work with. Um, I don't know how, how reasonable that is or realistic, or if, uh, Atlanta wants to move up or anything of that nature, but I do think that that's like a, I, I have like that kind of like idea if that's even feasible, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, th- I think Clint Capella would solve a lot of needs though, uh, for sure. He, it seems like he does a very high level job, uh, like one of the better, like defensive rebounders, offensive rebounders, you know. Uh, play finishers, all that stuff. I think that would be a very uh, like good answer uh, for them. Um, and then in terms of like the wings, um, I almost feel like they like there might need to be a buy low attempt. Um, like you know, Indiana um, got like Aaron uh, uh, Neesmith. I'm butchering his name, I'm sure. Um, but like in, as a throw-in in, a, in the Malcolm Brogdon trade, I'm pretty sure. Like they're not going to do like a big trade. Uh, to get throw-ins, but, you know, I, I wonder if there's, like, buy-low options, like, relatively similar, like, you, you might not be, like, super confident in the the answer, but at least, like, you know, the physical profile might be there, you know, there's somewhat of a three, somewhat of a D, and then, like, you know, maybe it pans out really well, like, maybe they just fire on all cylinders next to Lucas playmaking, um, but that, I think, like, the buy-lows, maybe you look at, like, free agent, like, markets, um, like, I, I'm not too sure who's even, like the, the low, low cost guys that are available, but maybe you take a chance on a guy who's like, um, you know, available for like maybe a lower cost, like a Mo Harkless coming off of his uh, surgery. Maybe, maybe you take a chance for like, you know, like the, you know, see if like you will flyer for a year, maybe a vet minimum if he's, if he takes it all and just see like, maybe that can be your backup four or something. 
um, I think things like that would probably need to be, you know, investigated as like those, those bylaws for, you know, just to really fill out the rest of the rotation with those like, you know, better like fitting physical profiles for those spots. Cause they, they definitely are very small at the four out there moving Finney Smith. I think um, like they got Justin Holiday mid season at the buyout market, but he's like 180, 80, 185 pounds and Reggie Bullock's like 200 pounds and Finney Smith's like 225. So you know, like you got like the height matters, but so I feel like the, the frame matters a lot too. And, um, you know, just, you know, with Denver in the finals, a great example that really stands out. I was, I was in Denver for like, you know, the Mavericks, uh, you know, playing the Nuggets, I think in like February after the trade. And, you know, it's just like when you're in person, it really like those physical differences pop and just seeing like Michael Porter Jr. Um, Euro step and finish through Dwight Powell um, was like an example. Like they look very similar size. Like like they, they just need to be bigger uh, on the perimeter. They're small at the five, they're small. Um, so I think like, as long as you can just take a flyer on, um, you know, maybe those wings to at least be a better, you know, physical match to handle those types of assignments, I think could, uh, uh, could help for sure. Definitely. And I think taking a tilt towards defense with your role players rather than offense would be huge too. I, I think of the guys they have on their team now, Bertons and, and Harley, who we brought up a million times, both very offense first players, even Bullock to at, at to some extent at this point is like kind of a nothing on both ends. Really, he's like just very yeah average, for like two but... and a half months. He out of the gate, he tends to to not make three make yeah. threes at a very high clip. It's like they they were very much on the struggle bus with Tim Hardaway and uh, Reggie Bullock for a good like almost until like early January when they started to uh, you know start converting more. And then, you know, they were a lot better from there on out. But yeah, they were like, I remember putting out like, you know, among the, this volume, here are the five lowest percentage three-point shooters. And those two were always on it um, for like a good two and a half months. Um, so yeah, I definitely think having those like defensive uh, options, as you said, would definitely be a good like look to throw out when you need it. Yeah, just just take bets. Like, like if you just fill this roster out with nothing but other wings, like, like you'd be taking a bet on Jaden Hardy to take a leap and be able to fill some sort of role, but you would hope that Kyrie and Luka Doncic is, you know, can, can stay healthy or at the very least when one's healthy, the others uh, one's hurt, the other's healthy. And they can kind of stagger those kind of point guard minutes and get you through offensively. Take bets on, you mentioned Mo Harkless. I like Kevin Knox a little bit. Like I thought he looked really good for the Blazers for a, a month before they're like, actually he's too good to even, play right now so we're only going to throw out random g-leaguers who are awful so we can lose nine out of ten games um <laughs> you know i'd be in it like is this like a darius Baisley landing spot maybe um i i'd be into if they could somehow scrounge up the dough to give grant williams an offer sheet i think if you if they could get grant williams like 16 mil i don't think the celtics will match they seem like they want to stay at like 12 to 14 from what I've heard for him. And, and, you know, if you put that together, PJ Washington, maybe um, just like take bets, you know, take risk in restricted free agency, just figure something out. Like it doesn't have to be perfect because Luca and Kyrie are going to make up for so much offensively. You just have to have options because we've seen like, like this, this heat team and the heat are insane. And I don't want to compare any team to them, but have managed to find contributors from a lot of different places. Gabe Vincent and Max Struess have started most of their playoff games. Uh, you know, Kevin Love was a buyout guy who started some of their playoff games. Like, 
just having options, being able to be like, well, actually, right now we need to focus more on stronger fours. We need a stronger four out there. Okay, well, we have Grant Williams or PJ Washington to go handle some 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 you know bigger bodies down low. Uh, we need we need to switch everything. Okay, well, we'll throw out uh, Aaron Neesmith and Mo Harkless and just switch everything. Like having those options is huge for a team like this. Let's talk about the tenth pick a little bit because while I think you know we've talked about a lot of options. I don't think this is like a pick that's for sure on the move. You know, if we talk about picks that are for sure on the move, the only one that stands out to me a ton is the Blazers at three, and then the Pacers are going to trade some of their picks. But like, this feels like a pick that is maybe on the move, but we've kind of mentioned that because they don't have a ton of other capital, it might not be worth it to trade the 10th pick for basically nothing. You know, like that's not really worth it if you're not getting a real value add. So Grant, who are a couple guys you're interested in or, or you would really like the Mavericks to take here at 10? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's tough to tell how the draft board will, will kind of develop when you lead up to 10. But, um, you know, if someone like a Taylor Hendricks was to be available, that would be a very good fit. Uh, I think that would probably be the like a, a fantastic option. Um, I think, um, you know, just in general, um i i i think i think honestly going with the best player available would probably uh help a lot in general they have a lot of holes i know uh anthony block um i believe that uh there there's some fans uh like some you know one of the other reporters on on my platform dallas basketball they just reported that they're like his workout went well and you know they're intrigued by him um you know something like that um you know, that might not be like the like the rim protector or the uh the four but you know if you could check a box uh like adding another like impact player that you have on a cost controlled you know contract for the foreseeable future and have the restrictive free agency when he's available uh for a new new deal i think that that would definitely be a you know a helpful option um you know just generally even if you did that i wonder like how much more luca like could he play the three more I don't know. Like uh, something like that could be interesting. I think uh, um, I, I think some of the options I've talked to, like I've had some draft experts, uh, you know, Raphael Barlow was on my, uh, my podcast and he mentioned um, Derek Lively is someone that he likes. Um, you know, I think uh, there aren't too many, like, you know, those like, like center prospects, I think that would go in that range. And I know he wasn't originally supposed to go in that range, but I, uh, I'm not a draft guy, but I think like at least sounds like there's more intrigue for him to go higher, uh, you know, as of late. Um, so I think that could be, uh, you know, another intriguing uh, name as well. Um, it just seems that a lot of the great options would probably go before their, their pick. Like uh, some of those guys have trended upward. Um, you know, I think uh, like I'm just going to get a full scope of it real fast uh, just so I don't leave anyone off. Um Let's see here. Sorry. Um, one second. Let's You're see. all good. I can edit this out too. So it's no worries at all. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure I didn't forget anybody. Um, but yeah, like uh, I think, I think Jairus Walker, for example, that's another guy that'd be awesome, but I don't really envision, I, I, I'm sure you guys know better than me, but I'm sure he's, you know, way like kind of out of that, that 10 spot range I would imagine um cam whitmore uh would be another one um but i also think just my kind of guess is that he's probably out of that range um but yeah 
I think Taylor Hendricks, um, just from like recent projections, I know mock drafts are obviously, you know, not the, the most like, you know, best aging things, uh, especially on June, uh, June 9th uh, for a June 22nd draft. Um, but, you know, he's been, Taylor Hendricks has been available in uh, a fair amount in, in mock to the Mavs. I like, I do like his fit a lot. Um, if that was a viable, like a realistic scenario where he is available at 10, I, I do think that would be a very good pick. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, a couple names I'd like here. I, they've worked him out. I, I feel like I saw a report, and this could be wrong, where the Mavs said they would like absolutely not take this guy. But I like Grady Dick here. Um, I think he's a good rotational defender, uh, could probably play the four for them, um, and could just really shoot. Like, I feel like Luca has not, they've taken bets at it, obviously, with Tim Hardaway Jr. and um, Davis Bertons, but both those guys have kind of been disappointing in Dallas. Davis had like a stretch where he was pretty good, but Grady Dick is like just a knockdown. Like he will hit every single open shot. I, I have no doubt about that in my mind in the league. Uh, he can hit some off movement, like having that spacing. And I also think he can, in the long term, at least be a really competent defender. Uh, competent, I should say. Like he's not great on the ball, but he's really good off the ball. And he's not horrible on the ball. He's just inconsistent. But if you're really looking for a defensive guy, Kassan Wallace at 10 would be massive for me. I think I, his. He would have Luca play the three, which you know might have you might have questions with that, assuming he starts, which he might not. He's a rookie, but his defense is so good. It's NBA ready too. He's he's uh, a great nail defender. Can make low man rotations. Um, can guard on the ball. Like he can just do everything defensively. If you could just get him to like hit shots, you know, run some pick and roll with backup units. Like I think you're really cooking with gas if he's there at ten. Um, he's kind of been mocked to fall at least that far, which I think is you know, a, a bit surprising, but I, I kind of get it. Um, that's about, I mean, there's not a ton of other guys. I feel like I'm, I'm, I, I really see falling, you know, I, I feel like star is probably above this. Jairus is probably above this. Um, so is there anyone that I'm kind of missing who you think might still be here at 10 that you'd be really interested in? Uh, I don't see anyone really missing. Um, I'd, I'd be, I think if I were a Mavericks fan, like the three guys would be really, really happy with would be like Hendricks, Black, and Grady. Like I think those would probably be my top three guys. Uh, and just in terms of, you know, what they can bring as as much as they could bring as rookies too. Like um, obviously you're not depending on your rookie to, to carry you super far, but at the same time you want to have someone that you can – be in addition to this team because uh, I think the Mavericks have been a really uh, interesting case study of like how hard it is to actually, you know, acquire talent. Like I think it's a lot harder than people might think because um, you have Luca, he's gotten you as far as he has multiple years, but uh, can't do it all himself. And it's really hard to put, you know, a lot of talent around him. Um, I think that I'd, I'd be happy with Whitmore and Walker. I, I do think they're probably gone by the strange and I'm not even the biggest Walker fan, but I think in Dallas specifically, he makes a lot of sense. Um, so I, I it would be, you know, pretty happy with either of those picks, but um, I, I would also, the Lakers are in somewhat of a similar position in terms of just having stars without having much around them. Um, and I think that where I've come on for the, the pick, we have 17, which obviously isn't 10, but I would have similar feelings as a Mavs fan is like, just keep the pick and don't be, don't rush to move it for someone that is marginally going to move the needle for you. Don't, don't rush to move the pick for someone that's, 
you know, like a mid-level type player. I think unless you're packaging it for a real difference maker, it's hard to justify moving that 10th pick. So I would just stay on that pick and see who's around. And if I came away with, like I said, Black or Grady or, or Hendricks, I'd be pretty excited as a Mavs fan. Yeah, uh, let's talk quickly about some picks we wouldn't like. It does feel like there's a pretty strong top 10 to 11 that's mostly the guys we mentioned. Derek Lively's probably slightly outside of it. Uh, we didn't mention Osur Thompson, who I would not love here, um, just because I think um, I, I I think he sometimes gets overrated in, in comparison to his brother. Uh, we've we've had that discussion on the podcast, but also uh, I I just don't know how his general lack of shift and, and questionable shot is going to fit in with this offense. And I don't think his defense is so good that he's going to play immediately, especially given the jump from OTE to NBA talent. Um, I also would not be super into Bilal Koulibaly here. I've gotten to a point where I like Bilal more than I, I, I did for a while. Obviously he's having a great playoff run uh, in France right now, but I think some of the stuff with him gets overblown. He's, basically like a project three and D guy in my eyes. And I just don't know that that type of player is like what you're looking for at 10 right now, especially because his game is the type to where I could see him like falling off in trade value, like randomly, like just like, like not, not to draw parallels to these guys as players, but just in terms of like how their trade value goes, like you could see Bilal having like a Kevin Knox fall off in terms of like how other teams view him pretty quickly and that's just something I think you want to avoid. You at least want to have guys who can do something and have some intrigue moving forward, I think. Grant, are there any guys to you who who stand out that you just would not be super happy with here at 10? Honestly, I think um, I think you're probably along, like, the same ones as you um, for the, like, if you have projects, um, I think that's probably not the, the best route to go. Um, but it's also not the best route to trade for a marginally difference-making talent as well. Um, in general, uh, but I, you know, on the the option of like you know Grady Dick, I do think that that um, should be given consideration. Um, you know, I think uh, in general they they performed really well when Tim Hardaway Jr. you know started and hit threes at a high clip, but he's just so small. Um, like there was like a game in Miami on the road after the Kyrie trade late in the season, um, he was guarding Jimmy Butler. Like that that's. Like he's too small uh, to handle those types of matchups and you're not going to put Luca on Jimmy Butler. Um, so I think the general concept of having a shooter, uh, like a knockdown shooter, um, definitely would uh, fit well uh, with those two stars. But you have to have at least like a better physical profile uh, in terms of height uh, than like the 6'5", six, 6', six, you know, what, whatever he truly is, like 6'5", Tim Hardaway. Um, so I think that's why I would give it more consideration. Um, I'm sure in terms of skill wise, I'm sure Tim Hardaway isn't far more capable at any aspect of defense than Grady Dick could develop into. Um, so I think that's another, you know, factor taken into consideration, um, to, you know, basically like give it more, more thought than just to be like, not a great defender. Uh, we need to get better on defense. Not a good idea. Like, I think that's, there's probably more nuance to it especially if you're doing from a roster, like, you know, 30,000 foot view, um, you're probably going to move Hardaway if you're making a meaningful trade this off season because of the contracts, like his is more easy to move than uh, Bertans. So if, if that shooting was truly genuinely valuable to you as it was, you can't move Hardaway's contract, not replace the shooting 
and basically be left with that void. I think, I think at least having that better physical profile would, uh, for that, you know, general skill set with more upside would make a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that's fair. Stone, is there anyone who you would be uh, less into here at 10? Um, along the same lines as the project D type guys like Gigi Jackson to me is just too far away to really be in consideration for me. Obviously, he's much lower on my board, but just in general, like the process of taking him here wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to me. The other guy that stands out to me would be Jordan Hawkins. I wouldn't be super in on that pick here. Uh, I just think that he doesn't offer enough defensively or as a playmaker to to have much value outside of the shooting for me. Uh, and I think that it would be tough for him to really um, create fi- find a much different role that doesn't overlap so much with like Jaden Hardy of what they already have. So I think that it, it doesn't just make a lot of sense to me as to why they would take him here. Those would be the only guys that I think are maybe within this sort of pick consideration that, that I, I wouldn't be too big on uh if they use the pick on them yeah i, I think uh you know this is probably higher than like a keontae george goes but I, I i view him in similar light to hawkins though i think george is a meaningfully better on ball defender but I, I do just like i i think if you want to draft a wing draft a bigger wing there's a lot of guys in this class who can fill that um taking like a small two uh, or i guess an average size two but you know you kind of want luca to have the versatility to play the two or the three because as soon as you're asking him to play the three, he has to either defend threes or you're putting someone with a major size disadvantage on threes. And, and that becomes a huge issue, like you mentioned. And I thought that was a great point. Um, we can probably just go briefly over UDFA names. Grant, I, I, I know you haven't done a ton of UDFA stuff, but Stone and I like to nerd out for just a second. Um, some of the guys who who the Mavericks have worked out that I find kind of interesting Um this would be a fun Drew Peterson spot uh, as like uh, he could play on the um, whatever the Mavericks G League, the Spur. What's the, what's the Mavericks Texas G League? Legends. The Legends. He could be their version of a Luka, um, just like a <laughs> 6'9 guy who can, I, like I love his passing. I think he is a legitimately great passer. Um, does anything else work in the NBA? I don't know, but I, I'd be kind of into that. Um, they've worked out like, like some shooters who have gone back, but like Justin Powell would be kind of fun here. Like, someone who I think can really shoot the ball, who's legitimately 6'6", good decision maker. Um, the other guy they've worked out who I really like is Craig Porter Jr. I I would love the Craig Porter Jr. fit here as like a 3 and D guard. Um, his, uh, I've said this a few times, but his shot blocking contemporaries in terms of undersized guards um, are Derek White and Gary Payton II. Like statistically, those are the only guys who have blocked shots near his height at the same rate. Um Bet on that special skill. I think his I think his feel on defense is so high level. I think he can shoot. Obviously, there's some questions there. He's older, but I'd be really in on that. Stone, are there any other UDFA guys you'd be you'd be interested in here? There's yeah, a couple, and I think also similar um to a couple like to the Lakers, but also for the Mavericks. Like I do think obviously it's a long shot to find a guy this far down that's gonna help you a whole lot, but now with like the extra two way, you have three chances to find a guy that could be like that undrafted guy that becomes a, um, not even a star, but just a, a serviceable player for you. And I think that that's important for a team that has to probably win on the margins a bit. Like, I think that, um, you know, these sort of two way guys should probably be, um, bigger factors for the Mavericks than they might be for other teams, because, um, there's just 
they don't have a lot of opportunities to take swings and you can do that to some degree with, with these uh, undrafted guys. So I like uh, Betty Aka. Like I think that he is maybe some of that center help that they could use. Obviously he's probably not going to be like a starter for them long-term, but I think that he could be a serviceable enough rim protector and rebounder. The other guy I really like would be like Caleb McConnell. I think that he provides um, just a really strong bet to be like a defensive wing stopper. Um, and I think that's what's probably most important to me for the Mavericks is like finding guys that just have NBA skills that can maybe get you some minutes at some point because um, they're, they're, they are trying to figure out ways to, you know, squeeze what they can out of their roster. But there's this is just another opportunity to to take some bets on talent. And I think that uh, it's important for them. So uh, I would just throw those guys out there. Yeah, no, I think I think those are great names. Um, we like as we wrap this up, we always like to get big picture when we're talking with our guests and, and think about what the general path of this offseason might be. And, and to do that, we break things down into worst case and best case scenario. Grant, you can be as extreme with this or as realistic with this as you want to be. What's your like worst case scenario for the Mavericks this offseason? Well, I think in the you know, just based off what they have as variables, I think the worst case would be you know, Kyrie Irving doesn't return. And then now you're having to like, you know, replace someone that became a rental that you already gave up two key players in your rotation for, or two starters and, uh, you know, a 2029 pick and you're limited to the 10th of the 2027 first round pick is, you know, tradable like assets this off season. That would be a tough uh, situation to kind of overcome you would have to rely on, uh, you know, Jaden Hardy a lot in that instance, you know, he showed some good stuff, uh, you know, post all-star break, I felt like, but they, they were genuinely reluctant uh, to give him, you know, a lot of opportunity throughout last year. It was mostly predicated on injuries. Uh, like it, there was a weird stretch where like Luca got hurt, Kyrie got hurt and Jaden Hardy went from like a DNP all the way to being like literally the first option for the team starting and playing heavy minutes. Like, um, so maybe he could, uh, you know, fill at least some of that void, but that would be tough to lose an all-star starter that you just traded for. Um, I think if you know, now, if you look at it from the lens of what's the worst case scenario in a situation where Kyrie returns, I think it would probably be, um, you know, moving that 10th pick for that marginally, uh, difference making talent, especially a costly talent. I'm not really sure, um, what exactly, uh, um, you know, where, where DeAndre Ayton would fall in those lines. Um, but I think like paying like the $34 million, if I remember correctly, um, for, you know, his salary next year and not being on the books for the next three years, um, that could be challenging um, if it doesn't work out. Um, you know, I, I could see some, uh, you know, benefits to that move, uh, you know, because he has good touch and all that stuff and he'd be a good pick and roll partner with Luca. Um, but I think just locking yourself into a trio and then being limited on the assets um, to fill out the rest, you would have to really hit on, um, you know, like those uh, like undrafted free agent names, uh, things of that nature, like, um, you know, the ones that you guys mentioned. Um, but I think in general, um, you know, that, that's probably the general lines of what they'll do is probably like look to move the 10th pick um, and then, you know, it's got to be for the right, uh, the right piece. And then um, I think ending the off season, similarly to how the end of the trade deadline could fall under a worst case scenario or just a bad scenario. 
because um, you can't have multiple worst case scenarios, but because um, that's not how English works. But like the a, a bad scenario would be you trade a 10th pick, you fix one need, but you enter with like a patchy roster. Because um, I felt like when they traded for Kyrie, um, you know, they, they didn't make a subsequent move. Like you, you move Dorian Finney-Smith, um, but you don't replace any of your wing uh, sort of needs. Um, and then, you know, there's very thin margin for error and error definitely happened for the Mavs, um, you know, with injuries, Kyrie had his own, Luca had his own, and the defense was just too poor to, to, you know, overcome any of that. Um, so I think that would be a bad scenario, um, as well, where you kind of just fix one thing, you know, even if that one works out great, um, that one knee that you addressed, um, you could end up being in a situation where you still have that patchy, like kind of like lowered ceiling and, um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think those are probably my general, like, kind of like, you know, within the, the lines of how I kind of envision the off season outcomes being, uh, those being like the bad or worst case scenarios. Do you think trading for almost any max player would be like, like into that bad case scenario? Cause just for fun, like I looked up like, oh, who are like some of the highest paid players and like maybe Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan are on the move. Uh, you know, maybe like someone in that range where, where you're looking at like, they're sort of, I don't want to say washed, but like all-stars kind of on like, or, or former all-stars kind of like on the edge of that. Do you think trading for almost any of those types of guys would come down as a negative just because the roster would be so patchy? Yeah, I do think that that's putting a lot of salary cap spending into three spots. Um, I think you'd be better served um, kind of acquiring, you know, like kind of like, like not any like elite player, but just like you know, checking a couple boxes um, in one move. Um, I think that's probably more of a, uh, you know, a best case uh, for sure. Um, I'm not sure exactly like what, what, what trades out there, um, you know, for the 10th pick or anything along those lines um, to, to kind of like what team would have multiple wings or a rim protector and a wing. But, um, you know, I think that's kind of the general like best case if, if something worked out in that, in that way. It would take some weirdness, but like I do wonder, like if you could trade ten and uh, the twenty twenty nine first and, and foul salary filler for like some co- like a combination of like um, either Hunter and Capella or Bogdanovich and Capella, something like that, or um, you know, so like somewhere in that range where it's like you're not getting like a great wing, but someone who could probably start is maybe a little overpaid and like a good big that feels somewhat feasible. Or you mentioned like. Aaron Neesmith earlier like if you could somehow swing something for Miles Turner and Aaron Neesmith like that would be um interesting it would be feasible probably great let's talk about the best case we'd like to end on a positive note um what's the best case scenario for this offseason that you think could I mean if they have the best case scenario offseason you would think this is a team that could compete for a championship uh so what does that what does that look like to you yeah, I think um, it's probably actually one of those those trade scenarios um, that you mentioned. I actually was thinking not the exact same like uh, to a T, uh, but just like, you know, you, you get that rim protector, it doesn't cost $30 million, and you get the like a wing that you add into the fold, and then you probably are able to go find like for the Tox MLE, um, you know, fit another need. And then, you know, whether it's like minimum contracts or you know, you undraft the free agency, you, you like fill in a couple more talent uh, spots. Um, you know, I think that could be a best case scenario because if you add two starters, you have Luca, Kyrie, um, you know, Reggie Bullock, um, you know, in general, uh, I feel like, uh, or Josh Green, one of those two, 
you would hope could fill that, uh, you know, final starting spot. Um, and then, you know, in general, Jaden Hardy, hopefully he's, you know, continuing to progress in his development as I would imagine he will. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think you'd still need to kind of hit on some of those cheaper, like, like hopefully your, your bench gets an upgrade at one of the, you know, who can play maybe one or two spots, um, like different like looks out there, um, with lineups. Um, you know, I think they, uh, I, I don't, I guess it's tough cause they, they need a lot of like, um, kind of like center attention. Um, like I guess a best case scenario would be that JaVale McGee, uh, probably comes, you know, motivated, ready, uh, to kind of, you know, make a positive impact after being like taken out of the rotation. I, I didn't feel like, you know, just my personal observation, I didn't feel like he was, uh, necessarily in like the greatest shape to start the season. Um, he was kind of slow to get up the court, even in preseason and like early season games. Um, I feel like, um, you know, if like the, a lot of those little variables go in your favor and you're like, oh, wow, uh, you know, he's a little more productive than we envisioned, like those types of things in a couple spots, I think even without having to make a roster change would go a long way. Cause there was a lot of little variables that did not go their way. Like, um, uh, you know, like, I, like those, those players, um, you know, like Reggie Bullock struggled for quite a while from three and, you know, he finally figured it out, but yeah. And then like Jaden Hardy wasn't trusted uh, to be a regular full blown rotation player until like, I think he had more trust later in the year, but like, you know, in, in December there was like a road game in Denver and before the, the game, he was like Josh Green and Jaden Hardy were looped into a question where it was like, what do you say to people who, you know, think that they should play more and the coach, you know, Jason Kidd was like, you know, Twitter's not the coach, like, like, I'm going to do what I do, those minutes are accounted for. So like in December of your season, you're not really trusting to give heavy minutes to Josh Green or like, you know, a full time rotation spot to Jaden Hardy, like those things would not would definitely not fall fall under like the best case scenario, you would hope that if last year's best case scenario happened, they would have earned uh, some sort of a role by at that point of the season, like not that that's super realistic for a second round pick. But, you know, in a best case scenario where some unrealistic things happen, those are the kinds of things that I feel like would go in their favor. Yeah. It, it, and then if you had to pick a best case pick, say they they, they hung on to the pick at 10, who would like your best guy be there? I do think it probably would be Taylor Hendricks. I feel like you get a little bit bigger at the four and then, you know, you can kind of trust his like, you know, complimentary offensive skills. Uh, he can switch all that stuff. I'm sure you guys probably know way better than I do, but that's just my general uh my general like idea, I guess, uh, of, uh, what he can kind of bring and some defensive playmaking. No, I'd probably be with you. That would probably be my best case pick as well. Just looking at, you know, where things are at. May, if maybe I can't go I with Victor Wembanyama, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'd have Kassan, but like I have those guys in the same tier and, 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 you know, I think you're the third person that we've talked to in this range who said Taylor Hendricks is their, uh, ideal pick I think it's just because he's so obviously scalable he can yeah. switch out of the perimeter pretty well like his footwork is really raw but his hips are so quick that you think that he can get there he can definitely block shots and he can shoot like that's it's just it's so easy to see him being an NBA player that I think a lot of these teams that are in this range who you know fancy themselves good teams already uh, we talked to the, a, a guy who uh, about the Pacers and he mentioned Taylor Hendricks as his ideal pick too because if you're a team where you feel like you already have your creation, 
he's it's so easy to see him playing off of creation so um yeah no this has been great uh, again we can't thank you enough grant for all the uh not not just for coming on the pod and giving us your expertise but for also all the great work you do outside of the pod just let the people know it'll all be linked down below but let them hear from your mouth where where can they find all your great stuff yeah, for sure. You can find my written content. Um, you know, I'll be doing breakdowns of like, you know, whoever the Mavs trade for or draft. Um, you know, I did that of like Christian Wood last year, Jaden Hardy. Um, you know, you can find that on DallasBasketball.com. You know, I'm sure I'll have, uh, you know, analysis of like, you know, summer league games. Like I did that of Jaden Hardy as well. And then like Luca's international, um, you know, like with Slovenia, his, his games over there, I'll do some breakdowns of that. Um, and then I'm on, uh, you know, a Mavericks podcast um, inside the Mavs. Um, you can find that on, uh, you know, YouTube, Spotify, um, you know, we recently started that and we'll have quite a bit of interesting guests on, uh, closer to the draft and throughout the off season as well. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I appreciate you guys uh, for having me on. It was, it was fun to talk about, uh, you know, the Mavs and the, the draft and trades for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, big shout out to Grant really recommend his podcast, um, does a lot of great stuff and, and yeah, I can't wait to read your breakdown of, of how things go because, this is a team where it feels like a lot is on the line. I mean, we are not far away from hearing Luca trade rumors. Uh, that's just how this feels. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see it. Um, yeah, Grant, you're you're great. I, I seriously, we appreciate you for Stone Out Partner Score Court. I'm at Bryce Hendrick 14. You can just like, reading, review all that fun stuff. Check out the website for uh, Dallas's workout tracker if you want to see who they've worked out. We'll get we have that on the Upside Swings website. We have uh, scouting reports and we have. We'll have a like little write-up about uh, this podcast in case you want a quick refresher while the 10th pick is on the clock and you don't have time to listen to a 45-minute podcast. It'll be right there. Uh, this has been the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you. We'd once again like to thank the people at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at globalshopsolutions.com. Thanks again for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks again for listening. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.